Well, like I said last week, you guys have a very special guest speaker this morning. He's really hard to get. He's only preached here once in, once in the last year, so tells you how in demand he is. Um, so anyways, let's get started this morning. So, loving God and loving people, right? That's our church motto. I don't know why I have such time figuring out what that thing is. Motto, slogan, uh, theme, mission statement, yes. Um, where did that come from? Does anyone in here know where that came from? I've not gone here as long as some of you have. Um, that's kind of a running joke with the pastor search committee who I don't think any one of them are here this morning. Darren, Darren's here, but he's outside rehydrating. Um, but like every week, I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't here when the church founded, so I'm just going on what I know now. I haven't gone here as long as you guys have. That was every time we met, but... So anyways, I haven't been here as long as some of the rest of you, so I'm not sure where, whoa, it's on now. I'm not sure where we came up with that theme, mission, statement, slogan, motto thing. Um, uh, Yeah, anyways. Um, But what does that mean? Why did we choose that? Uh, When do we live that way? Is it just when we come to church? Is that just our, our role as a church? When we all get here in this building, is our job to love God and love people? Um, is it when we're out, about, out and about in Stratford? Or is it something that should be part of the fabric of our entire lives, right? Loving God and loving people. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, loving God and loving people through prayer. It's something up until recently I really never had thought about. Prayer was my own personal thing. That was what I did so I could talk to God and he could talk back to me, Right. Um, but I never really had thought about it um, as an act of worship. Kind, of, you know, I, I'd always kind of heard that and, and kind of knew it in the back of my mind, but I never really thought about it. So that's what we're going to look at today. So, how many of us struggle with prayer? I'm going to raise my hand because I do. You know, it's it's not my strong suit, right? Um, sometimes I feel like I'm just trying to impress God with my spiritual vocabulary. Like I've been in church my entire life. So I know all the words you say when you pray. I mean, I've heard pastors, when, you know, when I was going to Second Baptist, there was a, a, one of the associate pastors named Leon Riddle, and his prayers were like sermons, right? And you would listen to him, you're like, oh my gosh, that guy, he must spend hours and hours a day, every day, um, praying, you know, because they were just that awesome. Um, so, and so sometimes, you know, it's like when I come to God in prayer, I'm trying to impress him, like, God, I know, okay, and I, I start saying all these things, and there's times that I think if, if I say the right words, I might trick God into thinking that I'm getting this whole thing right, and he should answer this prayer, because clearly, if he heard what I was really saying, he would know this is what I really want, right? And so, many of us, I think, feel like that. Many of us, I think, sometimes will feel like our prayers are just going up and bouncing off the ceiling, or they're just kind of dissipating out into space. We say these words in our, in our head, or maybe we say them out loud, but they don't go anywhere, right? I think a lot of us struggle with that, or other times it's this thing we do because we're supposed to, right? That's what Christians do. They read the Bible, they go to church, and they pray, right? And that's what Christians are supposed to do. And so I think, you know, we kind of all, a lot of us fall in that game. And then there's others of us that just, like I said with, with Pastor Leon, just seem to always know exactly how to do it, right? And you know, if you come to this person with a prayer request, it's like going 
straight from their mouth to God's ears, right? Like they just have this pipeline and there's no bends or turns that it might get lost in. But when they pray, you're like, oh man, that, that person's got it. I'm going to quit praying and just tell them to pray for me, right? And so we, we have this whole range of people that, that just this prayer is this thing. And we really, um, we, we struggle with this a lot of times. A lot of us do. And then some of us just get it right. And it, for, but for those that get it right, then there's the rest of us that are just really confused and frustrated by this, this simple thing of prayer, right? So the good news, though, for us is that the Bible tells us exactly, um, it gives us exactly what we need to do with prayer. It gives us some great examples for prayer, some ways to, ways to pray, things to say when we do pray, how often we should pray, and what our attitude should be about prayer. So first, before we get going, though, I have to confess, I, I found these... Anybody that talks to me knows that I listen to a lot of podcasts. Would you, would you guys agree with that? Like anyone that talks to me, like I'm all the time saying, oh man, I listen to this podcast this week. It was awesome. But I found these two new podcasts that you guys need to all listen to. Those of you that have four or five hours to kill during the day while you're out walking, like I do. Um, <laughs> anyways, they're the Bible Project and Exploring My Strange Bible. They are brilliant. Um, and I've, I've found these podcasts, and they have driven me more and more into God's Word because the guy that does this teaches it differently than I've ever really heard it. Um, and so it's driven me more and more into God's Word. You know, and I don't know that that's something that's really ever taught. How, how do you read the Bible? You know, hear a lot of sermons from pastors say, well, we're going to teach you how to read today, right? No, none of us do that. And I think a lot of us, we look at the Bible, and it's like this super complicated textbook of all these weird impossible things that we have to memorize and we have to do this and this and this for this and this and this to happen and it's like this weird math problem a lot of times right and as I've listened to this it's just driven me more and more into God's word and helped me understand what's going on in God's word and and how interconnected it all is and what these stories mean and how this story is a reference to that story which actually points forward to another story in the New Testament and it's this amazing and wonderful thing and so some of the stuff this morning is from these podcasts because this guy just words it in a way that makes sense to me that makes sense to a lot of people but um, the thoughts and things are something that's been on my mind for a while um, because I've been reading through the book of Matthew. And the more I read through Matthew, the more I'm like, I just want to read Matthew. Now, those that went to Second Baptist are probably like, oh my gosh, he's just going to do Matthew, um, which I am going to do Matthew, so take that. Um, but Dr. Marshall, I love him, but I, I think he preached from Matthew for 20 plus years. I, I don't, didn't hear too many other sermons other than Matthew, and I loved it. Um, <laughs> but those of you that, that went there or grew up there know, oh, he's going to teach math. He's been brainwashed by Dr. Marshall. Um, that's not the case. I just have been reading it more and more, and I'm, I'm realizing that it's just perfectly laid out for someone who maybe is a new believer to understand what the gospel is and understand who Jesus was and, and what his life was all about and what the things he did meant. Um, but I've also been trying to record um, like a public reading of Scripture on YouTube for the youth. And so I've been reading, I've been recording myself reading through the book of Matthew and putting it on YouTube for the youth to watch. That way, if they don't want to try and read it themselves, I've taken all the guesswork out of it for them. They just have to push play and then they can just let their minds float 
You don't have to concentrate too hard because someone else is doing the heavy lifting for them, right? Um, so I started this like back in April-ish, and I'm still in Matthew. So I, it's a work in progress. I've <laughs> not been faithful to do it every day, which was my original intent, but life just gets in the way sometimes. So um, so let's get started. We're in Matthew this morning. Like I said, we're going to be talking about prayer, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 15. Um, but you're going to need some extra fingers because we're going to be jumping around a bit because um, there's a lot, like I said, everything in Scripture points to something else when you look at it. And, and, and like I said, because this podcast, I've learned how awesome those liner notes are down at the bottom of your Bible. Does anybody check those ever when they're reading? I didn't until recently, and now I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is amazing. <laughs> so much I've been missing out on. Um, so anyways, you're going to need a couple extra frames because we're going to be jumping around a little bit, and um, we'll look at what Jesus is talking about. I just realized that the word you're going to need extra fingers when you're, like that phrase is probably getting outdated. Who here is actually using a hard copy of the Bible? Oh, man, that's more than I was expecting. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. But for a lot of people, we're getting to the, I've got it on my tablet, i got it on my phone. You, just the one finger will probably do for you, or, or if, you, if your thumb is a finger, I, I don't know what you want to call that. Um, but for those of us, the good ones of us that are using a hard copy, those that, that love Jesus more, who actually have an actual Bible, um, we will need several fingers this morning. Because we're also going to be looking in Matthew chapter 22. Look at that, another passage in Matthew. But then we're going to be jumping back to Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus 19. So you guys will want to have your fingers in all that. Everybody loves Leviticus. We're going to spend a lot of time in Leviticus this morning. No, we're not. Um, that, it's a hard book to read. Um, the good thing, too, um, Pastor Mike is going to be going into detail this passage, our guiding passage this morning. He's going to be going into detail this passage in, over the next several weeks when he gets back. Um, so today, all I can do is mess it up. Um, and he will fix what I get wrong this morning. I trust, trust, trust me. Um, but no, we're going to be kind of getting an overview this morning. So... Let's look at loving God and loving people through prayer. And it's the Lord's Prayer. And it's actually kind of struck me as funny as I've been reading through Matthew. Why do we call this the Lord's Prayer? Can anybody answer that question? Why don't we call any of the other times in the Bible when Jesus prays the Lord's Prayer, right? Because it is a prayer and he is the Lord. So why isn't that the Lord's Prayer? Like, why can't it have sequels? Like, we just have one prayer of Jesus's that's the Lord's Prayer, right? You ever thought, like the Garden of Gethsemane, that's a long prayer. That should be the Lord's Prayer, right? Because it's verbose. I had to use, I had to look that word up. But um, so let's get into it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. All right. Um, and some of you may have the little heading above it says, How to Pray. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. And truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who's in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. 
Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, for, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others your, their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive you your offenses. That's a fun warning at the end there. So I should forgive people because God isn't going to forgive me if I don't, right? How many of us like to hear? We, we usually skip that last part, I think, when we're reading this. But So here's the deal. Um, the, when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, um, we need to know some things first. Um, there's a lot in this tiny little passage in Matthew. Um, but like I said, we're only going to be getting an overview of it. You think of it like a Google Earth thing. Like it's an overview can be good, right? When you're like, I wonder what things look like, look like going on around me. Who loves to like find their house and zoom out, right? Or, or just do, I'm probably just talking to these few over here. Who loves to just do something and zoom in and see what it looks like and zoom out and see how far you are away from things? Like you can, thanks Alex, thanks. Thanks for not making me feel like I'm by myself up here. Um, but it looks cool when you get an overview a lot of times, right? And so then you can zoom in and you see all the detail packed into this thing. And so that's kind of, I'm given the overview, the Google Earth view of our house here. Um, but Mike's going to get into it. Or you, you can compare it maybe to a diamond. I've heard um, the Bible compared to a diamond. Uh, you look at it and you see it and it's this beautiful thing. And it's this wonderful thing. But when you get that jeweler's loop out and you get in and you zoom in, you realize how perfect this thing is and then you you turn it a little bit and it looks a little different then you turn it again and, and you notice something you didn't see before and so scripture is like that we can look at this thing so many different ways and every time we turn it a little bit it we notice something we didn't know before and so today we're getting the whoa look at that thing view right look how big that thing is right we're getting that view today of this scripture but before we go any further we need some context so Jesus didn't just stop in the middle of a walk and like Hey, guess what, guys? This is how you should pray. I was just thinking of this. You guys want to pray? Pray like this. That's not what happens here. Um, what's going on? Where is this passage found in the Bible? Anyone? Other, other than the book of Matthew, which we've just covered, what, where, what part of Scripture is this found in? I was just cutting you guys off because I figured one of you three would have said Matthew. Uh, anyone? Anyone know? Sermon on the Mount. Thanks, Zane. He's so smart, you guys. Yes, yeah, it's, it's in the right, almost right smack in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Right? And the Sermon on the Mount is this amazing sermon that Jesus gives, and it will rock your world when you really take time to sit down and read it and take notes. Um, and it's where we get a lot of the quotables from Jesus from. You know, we get the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, we, we get into that, that's the Beatitudes there. We're salt and we're light. We're the light of the world. We're, we're salt. And if we lose our saltiness, we yeah, throw it out. Nobody lights a light and puts it on a lampstand. Um, murder and adultery begin in your heart. It's not the action that matters. It's the condition of your heart, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. All this stuff comes from one sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And then right in the middle of this sermon is the Lord's Prayer. And then he goes on and has a whole bunch of other stuff that'll just, it's like he's giving a sermon and he starts like, hang on, hang on, hang on, guys. This is how we should pray. Before we go any farther, we need to pray like this, right? And so this, this thing that 
Jesus is giving here, this, this Sermon on the Mount, it isn't anything new to these people necessarily. We read it and we're like, he probably blew everyone's mind right there. And yes, he did. But he's quoting from the Torah throughout most of this sermon. Not all of it, but a lot of it. He's quoting from the Torah. So he's not teaching. We have to remember Jesus is in Israel teaching to the Jewish people. He's just teaching them their own Bible. But then, but we, but, but we begin to understand what Jesus is teaching. And the point he's getting at isn't necessarily that the rituals and the actions and the rites and these things that we have to do are what's important. That God doesn't necessarily want those. Yes, they are important, but those are just an outward reflection of what's going on in our heart. That God wants our heart, and that's the important part. That's why when he says, hey, when you look at a woman with the wrong intentions, you've committed adultery with that woman. He's not, he's, I mean, he's saying, yes, don't go do that, but the act isn't the problem. It's the heart, it's the thought patterns that lead you to that act. That's the important part. And, and, and the Jewish people in this area are like, whoa, we never really thought about it that way. And that's why it kind of rocked their world. It wasn't a new teaching. Jesus just showed them what the true intent was behind these rules and rights and these laws, that they're just a way of keeping our hearts right with God. That when we think about doing these things, we're reminded, oh, God asked me to do this. I'm going to do this because I want to be right. So then we come to the Lord's Prayer. And there's something interesting at the beginning of verse 5 um, that we can see. What's, what's the, the very first part of verse 5 says, whenever you pray. So what does that tell us? That tells us it's assumed that we are, in fact, praying. You know, some, some of your translations, mine's from the, we'll, we're going to all recite this here and say it. Um, but mine's the Christian Standard Bible. So some of yours might say, when you pray or when you're praying. Mine says, whenever you pray. So Jesus is assuming, guess what? We're all praying, right? And then he says, don't, don't be like the hypocrites, standing on corners, making a big scene. See, uh, I think a lot of times because of where we live, we picture this society kind of with our own uh, glasses on that, that society, their society was kind of like ours. This was like in the middle, still is in fact, in the middle of the Middle East, right? When we think about people in that area, they're very devoted to prayer. Whether they're Hebrew, Muslim, whatever they are, they're very devoted in this part of the world to prayer. So they're praying all the time. They pray morning, afternoon, and night. And typically the morning and evening prayers were, were done at home, but in the afternoons, you just stop what you're doing and pray. That's just what they did. And when we think about, like now when we picture Muslim countries, they just stop in the middle of the day and they face towards Mecca and they pray, right? And it's similar to what the Jewish people did and still do in this culture. Now, they don't all have to be facing a certain way and doing all this stuff, but they stop what they're doing and they give God that time in the middle of their day and they pray. And so Jesus is talking to these people, no matter where you're at, your work, play, the marketplace, whatever uh, team you're practicing for whatever games they played back then. I don't know if they had competitive fishing or sheep herding, but you know, you stopped in the middle of what you were doing and you prayed. That was just part of their thing. And so then you have these uber religious people who would just stand up. I don't have anything to stand on or do it. And they would just be like, Oh Lord, we bless this thine day. And they would just stand up 
in the middle of the day so that people could see them. Look how close to God that person is. He must be doing everything right because he's getting everyone's attention, right? And they would do this. And usually it was like your Pharisees and your Sadducees, people that wanted everyone to know how important they were and how awesome they were because they've stopped. Here's the other thing. They had a prayer that they prayed, and we'll get into this here in a minute, called the Shema. And the scripture says to let this be a thing on your head and on your hands. And so they would wear these weird headbands with this big box in it that had the prayer written down on a piece of paper, and they would put it in the box, and they'd wear this thing around all day. And they'd have these things like kind of like rosary beads on their hands, and they'd, they'd pray the Shema, and they'd make a big scene out of it. If you were really close to God, you had like the most ornate headband with the biggest box so people could see you with this thing. And then they'd stand up, Lord, the Lord is our God. And they would make this big scene. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? (laughs) Right? He's like, don't be like those people that stand on the corner and and make a big deal out of this prayer. Right? We, We all know who you are. And he says, don't be like them. They've got their reward. Their reward is what? People noticed them. People saw them. Right? And I'm guessing if you were in downtown Springfield, the middle of everything going on, and some dude stops in the middle of an intersection and starts doing this, what are the rest of us doing? Like, what is that guy? Like, first off, we're honking at him because he's blocking traffic. And then second, we're like, who is that guy? Beat it, buddy. We got to get to work, right? And we're yelling and making fun. I mean, I probably would do that if I saw... And then I'd come and tell a story about it at church. and like, you should have seen this weirdo praying in the middle of the street, right? Because he's not doing it as a reflection of his love for God. He's doing it so people will see him. right? And that's what these guys are doing. So they've got their reward. That's what Jesus says. People are noticing them. And so he's saying, what you need to remember is, who is it you're in communication with? Who is your audience when you're praying? Is it them or is it God? Is that the one that... Is that the one that you need to be communicating with? Or do you just need to be seen by people? Then we go down in verse 7, and he tells us not to ramble on and on like the Gentiles, or your Bibles may say pagans. Does anybody in this Bible say pagan? Nobody here is reading the King James Version. I'm pretty sure it says pagan, maybe. Um, but pagan, like when we hear pagan, what do we think? We think like some dude that's performing a black mass in the middle of his living room, right? It's, not, it's just kind of another word for Gentile, right? It just... It was an ethnic group. It was just, we're the Hebrews, and they're the Gentiles, or the pagans. We've got our group, they've got their group. And so that's who he's talking to. So don't ramble on and on. We need to remember that although we are in Israel, we're in the Middle East, they're under Roman control right now, right? Caesar Augustus is this guy leading things. Um, And so the Romans, they they have this Roman and Greek influence going on in this area, And they had all kinds of gods, right? And they never knew if their god that they prayed to was mad at them or happy with them or if things were going great. And so they would tell these just elaborately long prayers to try and wake their god up and get his attention. Like, hey, look at all these hoops I'm jumping through. I said this, this, and this. Now you've got to answer my prayer. And so Jesus is speaking to these people. He said, "Don't, don't pray like that. And what's he say down towards the end? He says, Jesus already knows God already knows what you want. So quit wasting all that time. Just pray already. Don't, you don't have to say all that. Just pray. God knows what you want, so just start praying. That's the deal. Just, just get on with it. He already knows your heart. So you don't have to wake him up with a bunch of fancy words or try and convince him that you're something that you're not. Just pray. 
God knows. Just pray. And so we should pray according to Jesus like this. So let's read this together then. Our Father in heaven. You guys are going to speak out loud. Now, I don't mean read quietly together. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How many of us pray this prayer regularly? Anyone? Most of us think of this and we're like, we don't have to say those words. Right? We, just as long as we get the right attitude, right? Like we, we don't want it to become this pat rope thing that we memorize and we're just saying it because that's what we say every day. And I, I'm that way. I don't pray this prayer on a regular basis. But I want you to notice something um, about this prayer. If you go down uh, one, two, three, four, five lines, the first five lines are all about who? They're all about God, right? Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Our Father in heaven. They have nothing to do with us. And then you draw a line under those first five lines and it's give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation. but So this prayer is kind of divided in half, right down the middle. It's ten lines, five are about God, five are about others or about us, right? And so um, why does Jesus want us to pray this way? You guys ever think that? Like when you're reading scripture especially when you're reading through the New Testament and in the Gospels, like, why, why did Jesus, why is that such a big deal? Why do we have to pray this way? Why does Jesus want us to think like this? Why does Jesus want us to do this? Um, and that's one of the things I said this podcast has made me understand. Jesus read the Bible, but guess what he didn't read? The Gospels or the Epistles of Paul or any of those. Why? Because it didn't happen, right? So Jesus had a Bible, and his Bible was the Old Testament. He calls it the Law and the Prophets and the Books of Wisdom. Um, and so um, Jesus had a Bible. Um, and so he's wanting us to pray this way for a reason. Um, so let's take a jump over to Matthew chapter 22. If you've got your fingers there still. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40. And this is a familiar passage for for most, if not all of us. Um, what does it say? It says, When the Pharisees heard um, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they came together, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment is the greatest? Right? Is this passage familiar to most of us? Which commandment is the greatest? Now, the Israelites had... 613 commandments that, that are in our version of the Torah. They also had the Talmud and the Mishnah that were like oral laws and commandments. We don't have those written down in here, but in the Torah, there were 613 commandments. Um, and then you had these awesome religious elite, these Pharisees and Sadducees, these experts in the law, right, that would spend a lot of time debating back and forth, arguing, studying, researching, which one of these is the most important, right? There's 613. We can't expect Elliot here 
to remember all 613 and not break each and every one of them every day or not break any of them every, every day. So we've got to have some that we got to make sure we hit today. As long as we hit those rest, are kind of okay, right? And so they come to Jesus here knowing that these guys have spent lifetimes, some of them, debating and discussing this topic. Which are the greatest commands? Which one's number one, right? And so his response to them is so awesome, I think, because they ask, which one is the greatest command? And then you go down and he says, he said to them, or he said to him, this expert in the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and prophets depend on these two commands. That says the law and prophets. He's talking about the Bible. They depend on these two commands. I is this not perfect? They're like, hey, which one's the most important? Well, love the Lord your, your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, but which one's the most important? Yes. Right. Can you imagine this kind of like who's on first debate going back and forth? No, no, no. Which one's the most important? Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor. That, that one, two. Those two are the most important commandment, right? Because I'm sure they didn't just like, oh, that's good. Cool. See you, Jesus. And while we're like, he's leaving people dumbfounded, right? That's not the question they asked. He answered it in a way that they couldn't pigeonhole him into something and say, oh, well, what about, uh, you know, if he says, love the Lord your God, well, what about your neighbors? What's up with that? Are we just going, supposed to go around with our head in the clouds and ignore those around us? They've got him trapped there. And if he says, well, love your neighbor as yourself, like, well, are we just supposed to leave God out of the picture and just treat everybody nice and build this perfect hippy-dippy commune here and love everybody? And so he answers them, the most important one is both of these. That's the most important one, right? I think that's hilarious. And I can, I mean, if I was there, I would have been laughing at this. Like, those guys are so dumb, right? Um, and so he's perfect. Well, where did Jesus get these two commands? Has anybody ever asked that question? Why, why does he say these two? There's 613 commands. Why does he pick these two, right? You ask that question, Jesse? Or you know where it he has a Bible. That's exactly right. Guess what? Jesus is quoting scripture here. He's awesome at it, right? Um, these aren't new thoughts. Oh, it's not there anymore. Doesn't matter. This part wasn't up there anyways. These aren't new thoughts. No, if you look down again in your liner notes, the first part of this command is actually a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So you'll have to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. I'll give you a second to turn there, but it's a prayer called the Shema, which was this prayer that, that uh, all the way back to Deuteronomy, the Israelites prayed morning and night every day. They still pray it to this day, morning and night, every day. So we're looking at a prayer that's a few thousand years old, and it's, that, it's, it's almost like a national anthem to them. They say it twice a day, every day, without fail, as they go. You'll see a lot of times, um, because in this passage, it says to put it on your doorpost. So if you know someone who is Jewish, they'll, you'll see on their, on their door to the outside, they may have a little box, and they'll have a piece of paper with this prayer written on it, rolled up and stuck in this box. Fortunately, we don't have any of them walking around with cool headbands with this prayer and that, <laughs> that anymore. They might stick out a little bit. But um, so there's this prayer called the Shema. And Shema literally means listen in Hebrew. And it's the first word of the prayer. Shema, listen. Hey, listen up, guys. I'm trying to get your attention. Um, so let's look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It says, listen, Israel. 
Listen up. Shema, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So Jesus is quoting this to them because they already knew it, right? This is a prayer they'd already probably prayed twice a day. And if, if they're one of these that likes to make a big show, they probably stood out on the corner and prayed it real loud for everyone to hear, right? And so he gives them this prayer. So what does that mean to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength? So I've got some slides for this if you want to put them up here in a second. But um, like I said, the first word is listen. And then we have love, right? Listen, Israel, love the Lord your God. Um, love the Lord your God. And those two words imply action. In the, in the Hebrew, they, they were action. It's uh, Shema is listen and Ahava is love. And they meant, hey, hear what I'm saying, do what I told you. Um, do you feel something for this person? Go do something about it. Do you love this person? Go do something about it. Go show them love. And so that's what listen and love meant. They're, they're words that, that mean, don't just sit there and hear it and say, oh man, that was really cool. It'll be like, oh man, I feel sorry for that guy. Well, I better get to work. They, they're words that lead to action. So the first word though, we're gonna love God with all our heart, with all our soul and all our strength. So the word heart is the Hebrew word. Do you have it back there, Bree? It's the Hebrew word lev, L-E-V, right? Now you guys were super excited to hear some Hebrew today. Um, which is a cool word. Yeah, there it is, lev. Um, and this slide was from the Bible Project website. It's super awesome. But anyways, the Hebrews had no concept of the brain, right? Ancient Hebrews had no idea what the heck the brain was. And if we know anything about that culture... We've learned anything about mummies. What do the mummies do with the, what do the Egyptians do with brains when they're mummifying something? Yeah, they pull it out through their nose and then they throw it away. It's like, what the heck does this weird noodle thing do? I don't know. Let's get rid of it. Israelites were the same way. They had no idea what this thing was. It was just this thing that took up space in their skull that looked weird and I don't know if they played with it when they took it out or whatever, but it's this weird thing. They had no idea what this brain was. And so all of their intellectual activity took place in their heart. It all happened here, right? I don't know why I said right. I don't know if you, if you knew that before already. But so you think, you know things, you understand things, you learn things, you feel things, you have emotions, um, you have desires, all these things take place in your heart for the ancient Israelites. Your thought life, your emotional life, your physical life. They knew that this thing pumped blood because when they, that thing came open, blood came out from all over the place. And so it gave you physical life, but it also, because you know, like when you feel in love, you just get this weird, warm sensation, right? And sometimes when, when you begin to understand things, you're like, oh, I think I want to go do that because it moves you to action, right? And so that's what the heart was for the Israelites who were praying this prayer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? It was everything you know, everything you can learn, all the stuff you understand about life, the things you feel for people, the life you have that you've been given. Love God with all of that. Love it with your whole heart, with everything. And so... Then we move on to the word soul. How many of us here, when we think the word soul, we think of this weird ghost thing that when we die, this weird 
disembodied thing comes out of us and it goes on to live in heaven for eternity, right? Do a lot of us think, I know I do, like I did, until I started actually learning what the word meant. Um, a lot of us think that, right? We think, oh yeah, your soul is eternal. It's going to go on to live in eternity with God. We say that, right? Um, nothing, you don't want to ruin your soul because it's this thing that can't be fixed if it gets ruined, right? So the word soul in Hebrew, which you can put the next one up if you want, Brie, is the word nephesh. How about that? Nephesh. And it's used 700 times in the Old Testament, probably more than 700 times. Um, like I said, for most of us, because of Greek and Roman teaching, we think of the soul as this weird ghost thing that lives on forever. When our body dies, our soul will continue living forever, right? That's, that's what, how we picture it. Um, the cool thing, though, is that's not how the Hebrews viewed it. The soul, the most basic translation of the word nephesh uh, is throat. Has anybody ever thought about that? Like, I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my throat, right? <laughs> Does that seem like a weird concept, right? And if you look in Psalms chapter 42, it says that as the deer panteth for the water, so my nephesh longs after you. When you're thirsty, you don't get thirsty with this weird ghost thing that lives on forever and ever. You're thirsty where? Your throat's dried up, right? And you need water now. And so that was their... That was the way they viewed the nephesh. It was this thing that took life in and breathed life out. And it was this thing that gave you life. When you eat, all that stuff goes through your throat. When you drink, all that stuff goes through your throat. When you breathe, it comes in and it goes out through your throat. So your nephesh was literally your physical being. Without this thing, you don't exist, right? It connects. They didn't have a concept of the word brain but for us we know now that if we didn't have this the messages up here don't get down here right we're not alive without our nephesh and so it's your living physical being you don't have a nephesh you are a nephesh right let that sit for a second let that blow your mind you weren't given a soul you are a soul that was given a body right um and so that's what it meant to love God with all of your nephesh, to love him with all of your physical being. Every capability you have in your body, you're to love God with that. Now we add that on to the heart, which is our thought life, our emotions, the stuff that gives us life, right? Blood, we're to love God with that. So we don't have a whole lot left over to, to not love God with, right? But then it goes on to say, finally, strength, which is our next one which is an awesome, another awesome Hebrew word called ma'od. But that's another good word, ma'od. That's why I love this podcast. I literally get to learn how to say all these cool words. Ma'od, nefesh, lev, ahava, right? Um, and it, it's a cool word because it, it actually means very or much. So when you come to this passage, like love the Lord your God with, with you know, your thought life, your your feelings, your emotions, your desires. I'm going to love him with my body, and I'm going to love him with my much, my very. <laughs> so it's this word that's actually an adverb, and it's meant to kind of amplify or multiply the word that it's describing, right? I'm not hungry, I'm ma'od hungry. I'm very hungry. I'm not cool, I'm ma'od cool. Jason's not 
crazy, he's ma'od crazy. Like he's very, he's not weird, he's ma'od weird. And it, a lot of times they'd put it twice to really, it's like, no, 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 no. he's not weird, he's ma'od, ma'od weird. Like, here's your weird people, and he's above, he's one step above them, right? Like he stands out. Um, and so, <laughs> this is a weird thing. He's saying to love God with all your muchness, with all your veritude. I don't know if that's a word or not, but um, the thought is basically anything that you can think of that might be left outside of your body, your thoughts, feelings, devotions, desires, anything that might be left out of that, eh, go ahead and love God with that too, right? So this might be dreams, the moments you have in life. When you come to these moments, you're to love God with that moment that you've been given in life, your desires, your wealth, that's not covered in body or heart, right? Love God with your wealth. Love God with um, your opportunities in life. How many of us think about loving God that way? I've been given this opportunity. How can I love God through this opportunity? How can I give God? Remember, ahava, which is love, means it should lead to action. So when I've been given this opportunity, I'm to love God in action. It's a verb. How am I to love God with my opportunities and these moments in life and, these, and my wealth, my power, my strength, my status, where I'm at in my career or where I'm at in, on the team if I play a sport? How can I love God with that? How can I show love for God that way? And so this is what it means to love God. That When, when Jesus tells this expert in the law, he's like, this is what love, this is the most important thing. Love God with all of this, with all of this, and with all of this, right? And then the next one is to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So let's jump back to Matthew 22. That's what he says in the end. Love the, your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. And again, Jesus is quoting from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and it just actually says, love the Lord your God with all your or sorry, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so is there any way I can live life loving God and loving my neighbors that doesn't, you know, um, I guess, uh, obey all the other commands, right? Turns out this loving God and loving others is a theme throughout the entire Bible. Just before Leviticus, we have Exodus, which is where the Ten Commandments come from. It's divided in half. Not exactly. It's four to six. Um, people win on that one. But four of the Ten Commandments are about loving God. And the last six are about loving those around us, right? Turns out that, that's a theme in the Old Testament throughout. Um, Jesus' life is characterized by his love, his obedience the way he gave his life for God, he was always obedient and always gave himself to God first. And then after that, he used that love that he had for God and that God had for him to love those around him. And then when you go on further, you see the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Anybody can sing that song? Any of the kids? Lizzie? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of them, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruit, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace. That's the song. Um, I could never remember that song. All the crazy movie lines I can quote 
or in movies I can quote. I could never remember all the fruits of the Spirit. There's like nine of them. That's probably not even right. But those all involve other people, right? You love other people unless you're this crazy narcissist. You love yourself. You are patient with other people. You are kind to other people. You're good to other people. You're faithful. When they ask you to do something, you come through for them, right? They all involve other people, and they all involve God. We're to love God. We're to have joy in God. We're to experience peace and patience with God. So now back to our prayer life, the Lord's Prayer. So it's all about loving God and loving others. And that is what, like I said, Jesus' life was all about. He loved God first, and because of that love that he had for his Father, it's like, Father, you have this love for me. I have this love for you. I'm going to show people what that looks like. I'm going to show people what it means that I trust you with what is good and what is right. I'm not going to turn to this other tree all the way back to Genesis, in the first few pages of Genesis. He trusted God to determine what was wrong and right for him. He didn't turn to the world, to this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus always chose what was good and right according to God's standards, not what someone else might have said. And so because of that love, he wanted to show me what that was like. He wanted to show you what that was like. And he showed us that love so hard and what that loving life of loving God and loving others looks like that it cost him his life. And he wound up giving his life for me to ultimately show his undying love for me. But then he rose from the grave. And that's the important part. I think a lot of times we skip over that. We think, well, if you ask people, why did Jesus come to earth? Why Why did Jesus have to come to the world? Most of us would say, to die on the cross for us, right? That's, that's a right answer. But unfortunately, every one of us that comes to earth dies, right? The important part wasn't that he died for us. It's that he rose from the grave for us, that death wasn't even strong enough to stop his love for us. So Jesus is this perfect embodiment of this Lord's prayer. So now, as followers of Christ... We're called to the same life. I'm a Christian. That means little Christ or Christ-like, right? So I'm supposed to live a life like Christ. And if Christ says that the Lord's Prayer is the way I should pray, maybe I need to start taking him seriously when he says that because there's a reason he said it. He didn't just say, like, ah, this is a good idea. You can't think of anything else to pray. Ah, let's pray this way. He said, no, when you pray, pray like this, right? Now, if you notice, like I said, in the prayer, the second half is always us and we. How many of us, when we think about this prayer, we think, give us this day our daily bread. How, much, how many times do we kind of take us out and put I in there? Or me? Give, give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me my debts as I forgive those who have debts against me. Lead me not into temptation. Because we take this thing like, well, this is kind of the general idea Jesus wanted. So it's supposed to apply to my life. That's not at all the way Jesus intended for this prayer to go. He intended for this prayer to be for us. Am I included in us? Yes. So what I'm supposed to do is pray. And this is the reason this prayer became the Lord's prayers, because it became a daily prayer, a prayer that guided the life of the early church. And they began saying it every time they got together to worship, every time they had church, which was, if you read the book of Acts, 
a lot. It wasn't just Sunday and Wednesday. It was most days of the week. Um, and so they would say this prayer every time they got together as a church. They would say the Lord's Prayer. And if you look at the church in the book of Acts, they lived out and give us this day our daily bread because they were a persecuted church. They got to experience the joys of the Roman Colosseum, right? They got like the first person view, not from the seats, but from right down on the floor, the best seats in the house, right? They, they got the lion coming right at them view. Um, they got the cool, they, they got to experience what it actually feels like to be burned at the stake, right? And so when they needed their daily bread, they're persecuted. So sometimes there were people in this church, in the, in the first church that, that had means. And they would give of their means so that someone who didn't have their daily bread had their daily bread, right? Did anybody see that movie about the life of Paul that came out? I don't know, last did anybody see that? It, it, it portrayed this perfectly because it was this house and there were, I don't know, in this house, 40 or 50 people that lived in this kind of area and there's like a little garden thing out in the middle and when people were being persecuted, they gave up everything they had to run and hide in this house to stop the persecution and this house of these people was a safe haven for them. And it was a place where they would get their daily bread if they needed it. And if they were being tempted, they could come to this place and it was a safe haven for them where they could be uplifted and, and, and built up in Christ. Or if they had sins against people, they knew they could run to this place because this place was going to take them in and forgive them because they knew what forgiveness felt like themselves. So what it means... Uh, I'm sorry, um, they would sell, if you look in Acts also, it says they, they devoted themselves to the daily reading of scripture, the teaching of the disciples, and they would sell their possessions and give to the other people in the church. They lived this prayer. So what this means is that they prayed the prayer, and they looked at the needs of those around them, they, whether they were physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever they were, and they, they let this prayer move them. They loved Ahava. It moved them to action. They listened to the word of the Lord and let it move them to action. They loved God. And when they, when they received, when they heard a teaching from God or about God, it moved them to action. And so they would pray this prayer with the thought of action in mind. They forgave each other because they understood that they too were forgiven. They helped each other through temptation because they themselves were being tempted. So maybe we as a church, or maybe us as individuals, can take loving God and loving others maybe another step forward. We do a great job of that in this church with the meals we provide for people, the way we take care of people. But maybe we can take it another step forward in our daily problem. What if we all stopped every day in the middle of the day and prayed this prayer and, said, and, and prayed it with the intent that God put someone in my life today that I can give them their daily bread or I can be an encouragement to them or I can help them out. I can give them a word from you when it comes to um, temptation or I can be willing to forgive someone that's hurt me. Man, that's, that's an awesome thought, right? Someone's done something wrong to me and I can forgive them because the end of this passage says, but if we don't forgive others, the Lord our God is not going to forgive us, right? 
uh, verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will also not forgive you. Right? Maybe we need to look around and say, man, I need to offer forgiveness to that person. Or man, I've got everything I need. What can I do to meet the needs of someone around me? Or man, I think, you know, the lines are falling pleasantly for me now, as it says in Psalms. Maybe I can go help someone out that might be struggling in their faith. What if we as Harvest Hill or we as individuals began to take this next step forward so that God could turn this community to him? And we began to really love God with, our, with all of our lev, with all of our nefesh, and with all of our mood, right? We gave everything we had to loving God. And in showing that love for God, we loved those around us the same way. We loved them as we love ourselves. Do I have enough? How can I meet the needs of those around me, right? I asked Jackson and Bridget Jackson to come on up. <laughs> maybe you're here this morning. I mean, maybe you've never really experienced God's love for the first time. And the good news is that, that while we were still in, sinners, while we were God's enemies, he loved us. And that's the, that's the reason he says we have to forgive people that hurt us. Right? We don't usually consider someone that hurts us a really close friend because they probably wouldn't hurt us. They, they can become our enemy real quick. And we need to show that forgiveness to those because Christ, while we were his enemy, while we lived a life continually hurting him, he forgave us, right? He loved us so much that he sent his son, yes, to die for us, because that's the penalty for sin is death, spelled out all the way back in Genesis. But not only did he die, he raised from the dead to defeat that penalty of death. That, that penalty is no longer a penalty now if you've accepted Christ. So maybe... You need to come to Christ this morning. It's as simple as just saying, just admitting, God, I've sinned. I've messed up. And sin just means that I've chosen to define what's good and evil for myself instead of letting God do it. Every time I make that choice, I step farther and farther and farther from Christ. I step farther from God. And I just need to admit, God, I, I can't fix this. Every time I do it right, try to do it right, I continually choose to do it wrong. We just have to admit, God, I, I've messed up, and I can't fix this. I keep trying and trying and trying under my own power, and I can't fix this. So we just need to give that to God and trust God and say, God, I give you my life. I'm sorry for that sin. I give you my life. Thank you for, for coming and paying the penalty for my sin. And then we give God our life in thanks. Only Jesus' life, death, and resurrection can fix that problem, can narrow that gap, can bring us back into that right relationship with God. So I'm going to ask Jackson to pray. I'm going to be down front. Anybody wants to come down and, and say, hey, I've never, never done that. I've never experienced that. I'll be down front. If you just want to come down and pray, maybe God's gotten a hold of your life about something you can change, something you can do to live out this prayer, this Lord's Prayer. Come down and pray. That's what this, that's what this altar's for. It was a really bad song in the 90s.
I'm going to pray, and then Jackson and Bridget are going to lead us. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you for the word you've given us, God, and how it's always applicable in every situation. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for pouring it out on me when I don't deserve it, God, when I continually choose the wrong option, God. You still love me, and you still were willing to come and die and defeat that penalty, Father, for me of your love for me. God, help me to live a life that loves you back. God, by loving those around me. We lift up this time of invitation to you, God, and we just ask all these things in your name.